Well, happy Easter. It's good to see you all here today. And if you have your children in the room with you today, just thank you for bringing them in here so that we could all be in here with our volunteers as well. We had a good turnout in the first service as well. But I just wanted to point out, there is a chocolate cross in your box. It is for your children, right? Just pointing that out. That's in there. I don't know about you, but I remember whenever I was a little kid, one of my favorite things was on Easter Sunday, I would come into the living room, I have two sisters, and we would all go into the living room, and my mom would always have these Easter baskets that were sort of hidden in the living room. We'd go find them, and we would sit down, and we saw the chocolate bunny, we'd see all the things in the basket, and then my mom would say those dreaded words, don't open that until after church. Surprised we still like church, but we do. There's nothing like being aware that something good is coming but not being allowed to enjoy it yet, right? You remember those, like sometimes you would sit around the dinner table and maybe you would smell a dessert that was in the oven like a cake, a pie, or a tray of brownies. And then your parents would say, but don't, don't even, nope, nope, eat your vegetables first, right? Remember that? And I'd always think, now this isn't going to cancel that out, right? I always want to say, Mom, just stop the charade. What I'm about to do to that pan of brownies is not going to be fixed by this one serving of broccoli, Right? She didn't play along, though. I had to wait. Now, if my mom were going to fix the dessert that I would like most, it without a doubt would be a German chocolate cake. I love a German chocolate Wow, yeah, we go. He is risen in German chocolate cake. I mean, this is it. So here's what I want to do. If you could have one dessert waiting on you when you went home today, what would that one dessert be? I want to give you 10 seconds to ask somebody beside you that question. Ready? Go. If you're watching online today, go ahead and take a second and type it in the comments. We would love to hear from you, and we're grateful that you're with us this special Easter Sunday. All right, I gave you 10 seconds. Now, I wanna, let's start over here to the left. How, how about over here? What is one of the desserts that you heard? Just shout it out over here in this section. What, what was it? Key lime pie, is that what I heard? Very good. How about right here? Lemon meringue, yeah, come on now. That'll look nice and tart and wake you up. How about right here, favorite dessert? Pecan pie. It's so good to be back in Texas and have some pecan pie. That's what I'm talking about. Back in the back. because I, I love it. Whatever you all just said, I know it's good. How about right here? Cupcakes, I love that, and peach cobbler, yes, come on. How about right here? Did somebody say pancakes? I heard chocolate chip ice cream. What did you say? Molden cake? Molten, okay, chocolate, like a volcano. Oh, that sounds really good. That sounds really good. All right, right here, last section, what do you got? What's... Okay, that young man right there, let's hear what he has to say. Say it again. Red velvet cake. Of course, yes, that is good. He had so much energy, we couldn't miss that one. All right, so I'm going to do to you what I didn't like my mom doing to me. We are here to celebrate the resurrection. It feels like the dessert on the gospel story. But I'm going to ask you to hold off. We're going to get there. We want to say those three words, he has risen. We'll get there in just a second, but first, we got to start at the foot of the cross 
just after the crucifixion. Now, I know it's not fun to talk about death. It never is. It's, in fact, if we were to make a list of like depressing subjects, death would be up there, right? Up there probably with like uh, an IRS audit or, or like long-term dental care, right? Death is up there. But we got to start here, and then I promise you we won't end there. We will end where we all want to go today by saying those three words together. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 15, and here's why. Today, we are going to look at the most significant weekend in human history. It is the cornerstone of our faith, and we're going to start on a Friday afternoon. We're going to end it on a Sunday morning, and we're going to see this weekend for all of its glory. And if you don't have a Bible today, we got you covered. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you or behind you. You can borrow that from us. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, then consider this our gift to you. You now own a Bible And we say Happy Easter. We want to make sure that you have one. Now, also, as you're turning there, Mark chapter 15, if you don't know where Mark is, totally fine. Like any book, there's a table of contents at the front, and you can find it. Those of you who are online, we're so grateful that you are joining us. In fact, haven't gotten a chance to share this, but last Sunday there was a lady watching in Southern California just outside of L.A. She watched the service. At the end of the service, she let us know that she gave her life to Jesus. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord for that. So we're so grateful you all are with us today. If you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 15. We're going to pick up the story of the crucifixion. Around 3 o'clock, our Savior, our Lord, dies on the cross. And we saw it last week. He said those three words. He said, it is finished. And the wrath of God had been poured out. The question is, who's gathered around watching this event? Who's watching this holy moment happen? And that's what I want you to see in Mark chapter 15, and we're going to pick it up in verse 40, and I want you to see who's there in this moment. It says, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and of Salome, In Galilee, these women had followed Jesus and cared for his needs. They've been with him for a long time. And many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now let me ask you, you're a smart audience. You look great this Easter, by the way. Who's missing in the story? Who's not there at this scene? The disciples aren't there. We don't know where they are. We know where they aren't. Who else is missing? In general, where are the men? Don't you wonder that as you read this? Because it's not just like a couple of Marys, a couple of people who are really close. We're talking there's a lot of ladies there. Where are the men? One of the most monumental moments in Christian history, and no men were there at the cross. I don't know about you, but that bothers me a little bit because I can't help but think, There is a tendency, I believe, in us men to sometimes pursue the temporary and miss out on the eternal. And there's there's a lot of guys here today. I just want to say this to you guys. Be courageous in your relationship with Christ more than your relationship with your career because that will be your legacy. And I want you to have a legacy that's eternal, not temporary. And I don't want us to miss out on what God has for us because we're pursuing something that's temporary. There's no men here. We're going to see that again in the story. Now let's pick up the details in verse 
42. It was preparation day. What is preparation day? It says, well, that is the day before the Sabbath, so as evening approached. So you remember Sabbath in the Jewish tradition began on, begins on Friday night at sundown. It goes through Sunday night, but then it's dark, so they wouldn't come back to the tomb until light on Sunday morning. So the 24 hours before sundown on Friday is considered preparation day, any time in that window of time. So this is when they would cook twice as much food, twice as much, they gather the wood, so that they didn't have to work on Sabbath day. That was the key, was not to work on Sabbath. And so on preparation day, Jesus dying on the cross that Friday afternoon, they only had till sundown to take him off the cross to prepare his body and to have him buried before sundown when they couldn't do any labor at all according to their custom. So we're kind of getting the time frame and what's going on. and We're all post-crucifixion, but now we're moving toward the tomb. And look at the, we're introduced to a new character in verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, Who's he? Well, he was a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. So he's a follower of Jesus who was constantly saying, kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is near. He went boldly to Pilate. Remember we introduced to him last week. He's the one who's a Roman official who actually sentenced Jesus to crucifixion. And Joseph asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. So he summoned the centurion who's an expert in crucifixions. And Pilate asked the centurion if Jesus had already died. And when he had learned from the centurion, I'm not taking your word for it, Joseph, but I'll take the experts, that it was so, then he gave the body to Joseph. Now remember, some people will occasionally make the argument that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. But we have to remember, Pilate's very career depended upon the crucifixion of Jesus being complete and final. The centurion, who was an expert at crucifixion, his very uh, career was on the line. So they were wanting to make sure that indeed he was dead. In fact, you, if you write in your Bible like I do, you might put in the margin there John 19.34, because in that passage, we see that they put a spear in Jesus' side to confirm that he was dead. There is no doubt that he died there on the cross. But now we get to kind of a depressing verse, a difficult verse, a verse that makes us a little uncomfortable because Joseph bought some linen cloth. This is actually grave clothes that he would have brought. You think about um, Jesus going into the tomb and he's bringing what he will be wrapped in. He took, the, took down the body, he wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. That isn't something we typically talk about, grave clothes, right? It's a little awkward. It's a little uncomfortable. In fact, if you want to stop the Easter lunch today, ask whoever you're eating with, so what do you plan to wear in the casket? Stop the conversation, right? It's done, and then let me know how it feels to sleep on the couch tonight, right? Here we're talking about the clothes that Jesus, God the Son, would be wearing in the tomb. And then we come to the final verse of chapter 15. Look at it. It says, And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where Jesus was laid. And that word saw in the original language actually means a long, sustained attention. It wasn't just like a glance. And there we end chapter 15. And here we have two ladies who've had a long, exhausting and traumatic day at the end of this Friday 
They've seen Jesus' body taken from the cross, laid in a tomb, and they followed him there, and they stare at the tomb, trying to make sense of it all, feeling completely hopeless. And with that, we'll end the message, Happy Easter. Not really. Not really. That's not why you came, is it? You didn't come to hear that part of the story. What you came for is what we're now going to look at in chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. In fact, chapter 16, did you know of the crucifixion, the author of the Gospel of Mark, he only gives us eight verses. I don't know about you, but I would think if we're talking about the most supernatural miracle of all time, there'd be a little more detail There'd be a little more color, a little more nuance. I want to hear all the details. But Mark only gives us eight short, why eight verses? That's all we get. I can't help but think that the gospel of Mark forces us to decide the main thing, and that is, is he or isn't he God the Son? No wrestling with getting in the details, in the weeds. We have to decide the primary thing. Is he God or is he not? Now let's look at These next eight verses. This is the dessert of the story. It's why we're here. It's what we've been anticipating. It has the he has risen in it. And let's look at that Sunday morning. Resurrection day. Mark chapter 16. The miracle is recorded here, it says. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They just wanted to honor him. Very early the first day of the week, that Sunday morning, just after sunrise, as soon as it was light, they were on their way to the tomb. They didn't know what they were going to expect. In fact, the one thing they hadn't thought about, there's going to be a great big stone wheel in front of this tomb. What are we going to do with that? In fact, that's the next verse. And they asked each other, well, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And it's almost as if the author of Mark is jabbing at us men because guess who's still missing? The men. And and the ladies are like, who's going to help us roll away the stone? The two most monumental moments in Christian history, men were absent at both the crucifixion and now at the resurrection, at the tomb, first thing, Sunday morning. See, there would be a stone wheel rolled in front of the tomb for the simple reason of keeping out Grave, uh, grave robbers or wild animals. The ladies walk around the corner and they look up and there is a surprise waiting on them. Look at it. It says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And it wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so the ladies could get in. And they could see for themselves the miracle that had just taken place. And then here's the verse. There's a bigger surprise. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which is large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man. Who is he? Well, he's dressed in white. He's dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Now, that word alarmed in the original language means alarmed, okay? I want you to make sure you're with me. It means they were shocked. They were like amazed. They didn't know what to think. They're just walking in like you and I would be trying to process something so supernatural. And now we see this 
little man in the tomb, and we're wondering, now who's this guy? And the, the writer doesn't give us much detail except to express this is some kind of heavenly messenger. And now the heavenly messenger speaks, and look what he says. He says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. And here it is. Yes, he was crucified. Now say these next three words with me. But he has Okay, so you just said that today, like we're in 2021, and you're thinking about grabbing Whataburger on your way out. Yep, he has risen. But let's remember what that statement means. That one truth put Easter on our calendar. That one truth split all of time from B.C. to A.D., that one truth split the veil so that we could have a direct and personal relationship with God the Father. That one truth conquered death for all time. That one truth gives us purpose and hope in our life today. That one truth changed everything forever. It is a truth that we rock our entire uh, uh, faith on. This is our cornerstone. And so with that, if you believe it, I want you to say those three words like you mean it. Say it with me, church. He, hey, yeah, come on now. He has risen. And then look at the next few words. He has risen, and it says, he is not here. I don't know why that's in there, but I'm guessing they figured that out by now, right? I got that. Where is he? Well, but he starts with, he has risen. He hasn't been stolen. He has risen. He is not here. And then he goes on to say, look for yourself. Come and see the place where they laid him. And then gives some specific instructions. And I love these instructions. He says, but go and tell the disciples, and I'd underline the next two words, and Peter. Why did he single Peter out? Remember, just two chapters before, on Thursday night, after the Last Supper, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus says, all you disciples are going to abandon me. You're going to flee. You're going to desert me. And you remember Peter was the one that goes, not me. There's no way I would abandon you. Now, I can see how they might abandon you, but I'll never abandon you, he said. Jesus says, Peter, not only will you abandon me, but before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me publicly three times. Peter goes, not, not a chance. I would die for you, Jesus. And within just a few hours, he did exactly what Jesus said he would do, and he denies him not once, not twice, but three times. They see each other, and he is filled with complete shame. He hears about his crucifixion. He thinks that he has died. He thinks that he won't see him again, and that'll be his final memory. I let Jesus down. And as soon as Jesus has a chance to send a message, he says, let Peter know. He's still included in my future. I still have plans for him. I went to the cross for him. I rose from the dead for him. Let him know this isn't a blanket thing. This is for him specifically, even those who feel like they completely failed. And I want to tell you, I don't know what you walked in with today, but you could put your name there. And Peter, you could put Anne, insert your name there. Because that's the way God looks at you. He says, I want to reach the world, but I want to reach you. No matter what failure you have, no matter what insecurities you have, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what, you are loved. This is what the messenger conveys go and get Peter who is filled with shame and make sure you bring him to I love the, uh, the specific name of Peter being mentioned here now look at the rest of that verse it says Jesus is going ahead he's going ahead of you into Galilee there you will see him I'd underline these next five words just 
as he told you. You remember back at the end of, uh, it's, it's chapter 14, verse 28. You might even write that in your margin there. That's what Jesus told the disciples at the end of that conversation. Guys, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be resurrected. And then I'll meet you in Galilee. And now the messenger, the first thing he says is, okay, now Jesus wants to meet you in Galilee just as he told you, just as he said. He has a purpose for them. We're going to meet you there. It's what I love is, on this side of death, Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. On the other side of death, Jesus says the same thing. In other words, death doesn't interrupt God's plans. Death doesn't change God's agenda. And he says, meet him in Galilee, just as he told you. And now we come to the final verse. The verse that wraps up the chapter, that wraps up the entire book, that wraps up the resurrection story. And you would think these ladies, as they come, and they've been already overcoming their own fear and doubts to get to the tomb, and as they get there and they hear the news that he has risen, in that moment they're going to be full of what? Well, we see that in verse 8. Here's the final verse. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And the book ends. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't expect it to end that way. I, I, that feels so abrupt, doesn't it? It feels so incomplete. Now, the other Gospels give us more detail. When they left, they end up seeing Jesus. He comes and walks in front and says, Greetings. They fall at his feet. They begin to worship him. They find their voice, and they go, and, well, they change the world. But in this moment, Mark wants us to see that there is a wrestling when we come against the resurrection. And I love that it feels so human that the book would end this way. You see, I believe that they walked away with fear. They were overwhelmed because the reality is this matches how a human processes a supernatural miracle. We don't just immediately see it, believe it, and we're done. We wrestle with this because we don't see this typically. This is very unusual, and it requires a step of faith. And these ladies walked away wrestling. And I can't help but think as they walked away, they began to say things like, did that just happen? Is this real? We can't tell anybody about this. They won't, they'll, they'll think we're crazy. Nobody would believe this. I mean, after all, they're going to think that we're the ones that stole Jesus' body. If we tell anybody, we're going to be on the hook for this one. What do we do? Do we even believe what we saw? Do we dare tell anybody what we saw? You see, we know they had wisdom to think that because in Luke 24, verse 11, we see that they did eventually tell the disciples, and guess what? They didn't believe them. They even said they thought they were crazy. Because anytime you hear the resurrection story, it requires a step of faith. And Scripture seems to give us permission to wrestle with that. I love the ending of the book of Mark because it feels so true. It feels so real. And maybe you're here and you're wrestling with the resurrection story. You're, you're, you're wrestling with this supernatural miracle. You've never seen a resurrection. I've never seen one. How do we, what category do we have for this? Our faith story, our cornerstone, and the people who even saw it wrestled with it too. I find comfort in that. But I also want to give you some reasons why I've come to believe these eight verses are true. And for you, your reasons may be different. At the end, there has to, 
always be a gap for faith. I believe that's God's intention. But let me give you six reasons why I believe it's true. Number one, you may know this, but historians corroborate that Jesus did indeed die on a cross. There are some in the first, second, and third century historians like Josephus who record that there was a man named Jesus who had a group of followers who died in a death of crucifixion there in Jerusalem in the first century. Another reason, and I find this fascinating, is the book of Mark is actually written in the city where the events happened, Jerusalem, during the time that the audience who would have witnessed the things being written about were still alive and would have been able to refute what Mark was writing. He writes it to the witnesses within two or three decades of the activities that he's writing about. Third, and I find this fascinating, is the women are such unlikely witnesses. If you're making up a story, guess what? You would have put men in there who in the first century would have carried more weight in the, the, uh, the, the court of law. The only reason that women would be the only ones listed, both at the crucifixion and at the resurrection, is because that's the way it actually happened. Number four, the tomb didn't become a place of worship because there wasn't a body there to worship. Number five, for the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to individuals. He appeared to groups, even at one point to 500 people as the resurrected Jesus. And then number six, and this is one of my favorites, the disciples who weren't there at the crucifixion, who weren't there at the resurrection because they were so afraid. We don't even know where they were, but we know where they weren't. When they got a chance to see the resurrected Jesus for themselves, they went from being fearful to fearless. Most of them ended up giving their lives as martyrs because they refused to recant what they claimed they saw. See, the bottom line is, if these eight verses aren't true, then you get to live your life however you want, making decisions that are best for you alone. But if they are true, that means we have a God who is supreme. We have a God who is a creator, who loved us so much that he sent his only son to pay a sin debt that we can't pay because he so wants to have a relationship with you and with me. And he has a purpose for us. And death itself can't even stop him if these eight verses are true. As you leave today, I want to give you a few reasons why this impacts you directly. Number one, these verses, these eight verses, impact you, Jesus' resurrection, because it reveals that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. That he really is God the Son who left heaven to come to earth to give his life as the perfect sacrifice for me and for you. Secondly, this answers the big afterlife question once and for all. It turns out everyone lives forever somewhere. And Jesus paves the way for heaven. Number three, you have a God who is alive. You have a God who is in love with you and would do anything, went to the greatest extreme to have a relationship with you. Number four, the empty tomb means that we have purpose. I love it. He said, meet me in Galilee. I have purpose for you right now. Peter, come on, let's go. God designed you as a purpose for you, and you don't want to miss it. Number five, because Jesus came so that we could have relationships 
So we were never designed to do this solo sport. We were never designed to be a Lone Ranger Christian. God doesn't want us to just know about him. He wants us to know him and to be in relationship with him and with others. This is what we were born to do. And number six, because Jesus rose from the dead, you and I can believe his promises. He keeps his word just as he told you. There's no greater story than that weekend. That weekend changes everything. It kind of makes life make sense, doesn't it? But there's one final step that we all have to take. We have to come with an open hand and surrender that I'm not enough. I'm not the star of this story. God is the star of this story. And I want to follow you, God. I want to give my life to you, the one who conquers death. See, I believe you come to life when you come to Jesus. And we can't look at the cross and look at the resurrection without at least giving you an opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you sense something like, eh, I want that kind of a God. He's here today. He wants to invite you in. And so we want to do something a little unusual as we wrap up today. Would you just, right now, would you just close your eyes for a moment? Would you kind of lower your heads, give the, the folks around you a little bit of privacy? I want to pray a prayer, and if you would like to give your life to the God who gave his life for you, I want to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magic in my words, but if you want to make that internal decision here today, I want to tell you it is the greatest decision you could ever make. There's a room full of people who've made that decision and believe that to be true. You come to life when you come to Jesus. Would you just repeat this prayer in your own heart after me? Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I am in need of a Savior. And that your death on the cross shows how much you love me. And that you covered my brokenness, my sin there. You even conquered death. Today, this Easter Sunday, I give my life to you. I make you the star of the story. Today, I make you my Savior and my Lord. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you'll see on the screen now, would you pull out your phone? We're going to sing a song, and you can do it during the song if you would like. Hey, I wanted you to know if you prayed that prayer, we are for you. And I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you. But you've got to let us know. Would you just take out your phone and text the word New Start, one word, to the number 94,000. Text New Start to 94,000. Let us know. I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you the greatest decision you could ever make to give your life to the risen King. Would you stand with me as we continue to worship here today and celebrate the victory that is found 
in Jesus. There's a tradition in the church that's pretty ancient that I've always loved, and that is when someone would greet you by saying, He is risen, you would respond by saying, He is risen indeed. Let's just try that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Now here's the question. Then what? What's next? It's tempting to think that after Jesus rose from the dead that it's the end, like a good book would end, right? But instead, if we were writing a book around this story, it would be Jesus, once upon a time, Jesus rose from the dead, and then the story began. This is where the story launches. I don't know if you know this, but when Christianity was born, you wonder, why are there over 2 billion Christians in this world? It all began just a few days after Jesus' resurrection. And it's all recorded in the book of Acts. And so next week, we're going to continue the story, and we're going to begin a journey through the book of Acts. And we're going to see this story, how it unfolds, because it turns out it's our story. You see, we're going to call it, Where Do You Go From Here? Because that's what the disciples were thinking. Maybe you find yourself in an unexpected place like they did. Maybe you feel like your world is up, turned upside down like they did. And you're wondering, where do you go from here? Well, I hope you'll come and be part of this series as we go through it together. Today we had two services next week, 10.30. You came to the one that we'll have next week. I hope you'll come back. We'll have the children's ministry, student ministry, the whole thing going. We're going to kick off this series together. I just want to say, if this is your first Easter here at LifePoint, we're so grateful that you came today. Today was my first Easter here at LifePoint, and I'm, oh, thank you. And, and we got to share it together, and I'm so grateful for that. And I just want to tell you, I would, I'm so excited about the future of this church and what God has planned. I would love if you would come and just be part of that story. Book of Acts, we kick it off next week. We hope to see you there. Now listen, we through this five-week series have been memorizing a verse Romans 5, 8. I want us to close with it one last time. Some of you thought I maybe forgot. I didn't. We were starting. We're going to end with it today. I want you to say it with me. If you know it, if not, the words are on the screen, and you can, you can say it with us there. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. Now say it like you believe it, church. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that though this world has all these attractions and shiny things that get our attention, that are but temporary, our jobs, our finances, our stuff, our relationships that we're pursuing, our own, even our own health, God, may we today in this Easter season once again anchor our hope in the risen Lamb of God. May we join what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Help us once again focus our attention on the Lamb of God. I pray all these things in the risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.